Welcome to Plodcast episode 91. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. What I wanted to do today is talk a little bit about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. The doctrine of the lesser magistrates. This is quite a relevant doctrine today, and we see attempts to exercise it going on in various places. And I think that Christians ought to, I guess, work out the theology of the thing first uh, before we rush to apply it. So um, let me give you some examples of um, activities by the lesser magistrates. I'm not commending or condemning them here. I just want to illustrate uh, illustrate it. Uh, I'll give you you three examples. When um, local municipalities declare themselves to be sanctuary cities uh, where uh, undocumented uh, foreigners, illegal aliens, um, cannot, where the local police force is instructed not to cooperate with the immigration, national or federal immigration officials. When a city um, says to the federal government, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to, we're not going to obey federal law because we have passed a law saying that this is a sanctuary city. That is an example of the lesser magistrates saying no. Okay. The, the city council and the mayor and all the functionaries at the city level are the duly authorized uh, authorities in that city. And they are uh, defying uh, the higher ups. They're defying the federal government. Another example would be uh, the state legislators, uh, state um, uh, referenda or state legislatures um, making uh, recreational use of marijuana uh, legal. Well, that's contrary to federal law. So marijuana is uh, not legal according to federal law. And if it's legal in the state of Washington or in the state of Colorado, as it now is, uh, then you have a discrepancy. And the lesser magistrates are saying to the greater magistrates, we're not going to do what you say. Now, both those examples, the, the example of sanctuary cities and the example of legalized pot, legalized recreational pot, are both examples on the left. Now, uh, we are also seeing a an upsurge or an uptick in the uh, interest on the right on the part of conservatives to do the same thing. Now, uh, what do I mean? Well, uh, when uh, Roe v. Wade has settled the abortion issue in all 50 states and, and basically say, here are the restrictions you may place on it and no more, and then Oklahoma, let's say, or Alabama, or one particular state, um, puts more restrictions on that than uh, allowed. That also is an example of uh, the lesser magistrates drawing a line saying, we're not going to conform to your standard. Now, um, this everything boils down to whether you're right or wrong in this. So if... Um, if the local magistrates say it's okay for everybody in our state to get stoned out of their gourd, um, what they're doing, what the lesser magistrates are doing, are taking their stand in favor of sin and, and uh, uh, over against the you know they're they're favoring or 
applauding or allowing uh, the commission of this kind of sin, the, the public drunkenness or the public um, being incapacitated by a drug. And so the lesser magistrates, when it comes to the merit of the, uh, the merit of the behavior itself, that would be an example where the lesser magistrate is in the wrong and the, um, the, the restrictive position against um, smoking dope, in this case held by the feds, would be in the right or closer to being in the right. If you flip it around and, and say, well, let's uh, talk about the abortion issue, now the lesser magistrates who are trying to restrict abortion, they're in the right. And the, feder the, uh, the federales who want um, basically abortion on demand, they are in the wrong. Now, um, there, are, there are a number of issues involved in this. Um, and one of, one of them, I, which I'm not going to go into right now, I, maybe I can get to it in another, uh, another podcast, is the whole issue of incrementalism. Is it appropriate to take an incremental approach to um, restricting uh, access to abortion? I think it is, so long as you never forget that the necessary goal at the end of the process is the outlawing of all human abortion. That's what we're fighting for. That's where we want to get. Um, if someone, if if you uh, if you sponsor a heartbeat bill, let's say in a in a particular uh, state legislature, um, and you say you can't take the uh, a child's life after the heartbeat is detected, this is this is an incremental approach because it's tighter than what the federal's the feds say you can do, and what you're doing is establishing your legal right, your legal capacity to do it. Um, if So if, uh, let's say, Oklahoma passes a heartbeat bill and they say after the heartbeat is detected, you can't take a child's life. Now, every educated Christian knows that before the heartbeat can be detected, we're dealing with a human life, with, an, uh, with a soul that's going to live forever. We're not saying, uh, we're not saying it's okay to take the child's life before the child has a heartbeat. But we're simply saying after the child has a heartbeat, you can't. Once that happens, uh, once we've carved out our right to be stricter than the federal government on that point, then the very next thing we should do is introduce another measure that says, uh, and you can't take a child's life uh, two weeks before the heartbeat is detected either and, and you know, incrementally push it back. Now, I think that we are, we have gotten to the point where incrementalists and what you might call the abolitionist um, position, no abortion period at all now, can, uh, can team up because I think that we are within shouting distance of a, of a certain one state saying, we're simply going to outlaw abortion in our state, period. And, and now here's the, here is the, the challenge. I don't think we ought to say this because the liberals have sanctuary cities. I think that we can use that as a legal argument when we get hauled into court, as we would be if you just simply outlawed abortion in your state. Uh, if someone introduced a measure to outlaw abortion in Idaho, I would support that. And then you get hauled into court. I think it's um, appropriate for your attorneys to use the example of 
sanctuary cities. You didn't care, you know, you didn't care when they did that. You didn't care when they did that. It's fine as a legal tactic. But our reason for do, our reason for doing it ought to be grounded in Scripture. Our reason for asking the lesser magistrates to stand up to the um, uh, to stand up to the uh, bad guys should be a scriptural argument. Now, um, what that so where 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 can you go for instruction on that? The place I would recommend is Book Four of Calvin's Institutes. Book Four of Calvin's Institutes. Uh, he is there talking about the relationship of the Reformation to uh, the civil magistrate. And it's there in book four that Calvin develops the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, where uh, if someone's a sheriff or someone is a mayor or someone's a governor, uh, what are the scriptural principles that should guide him when he decides what dictates of the emperor he should obey and what dictates he should disobey. And for the citizen who's under the governor, let's say, um, uh, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Let's say I'm, I'm an American citizen and I'm a citizen of the state of Idaho. And Roe v. Wade is, na- is federal law. And let's say the governor of Idaho signs a bill into law outlawing abortion in our state, period. As an individual Christian who's been told by Scripture to obey the existing authorities, Romans 13, who do I, who do I obey in this instance? Calvin argues that faithful Christians can obey the lesser magistrates in a, in a situation uh, like this. And it's actually the lesser magistrates' duty to do this sort of thing so that, so that the godly are in a position to take a righteous stand. So if you want to know more, I would, I would suggest instead of copying San Francisco, the best thing we can do is um, book for Calvin's Institutes and, and follow his biblical reasoning. So our book review um, this time is, uh, this time meaning for podcast episode 91, our book review is uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Weight of Glory, The Weight of Glory. Uh, This is a small book, collection of essays. It's one of the older collections of his short addresses, and it has a couple of his sermons um, uh, in it. One of the sermons is... um, the the the, uh, the the sermon in uh, uh, that starts off the volume that's entitled "The Weight of Glory," um, a very famous ser- sermon. It was preached at uh, Saint Mary the Virgin in Oxford. Um, that was the same church building where Thomas Cranmer was um, um, brought in order to issue his recantation because they didn't want uh, didn't want Cranmer to have the dignity of recanting from the pulpit because he was a heretic, they carved a, a niche out of one of the pillars in there and had a makeshift platform for him. And that's where he, uh, where Cranmer went to, um, to, to give his statement and where he recanted his recantation. And then they grabbed him and hauled him out of the church and, and burned him at the stake. Well, same sanctuary, same place. Um, where Lewis delivered this message, there are a number. There are other essays, messages here. One is learning in wartime. Um, why? Why do we give any kind of attention at all to uh, 
um, to academic pursuits when there's a war on. What, you know, what kind of sense does that make? Um, there's a, a wonderful treat, uh, treatment of um, the value of learning in that in that piece. A wonderful uh, uh, message he calls transposition, uh, where he is talking about the intersection of the spiritual the spiritual world and the physical world. Um, and th- this is a small book that contains some of uh, Lewis's more famous essays. And, uh, and it's, it's the kind of book, small book, that repays returning to again and again and again. Um, Lewis, in his, in his book, Experiment and Criticism, says that this is how you should uh, evaluate the, the, the value of a book, is whether you keep going back to it. Uh, this is a book I've returned to numerous times. No telling how many times I've um, uh, read this book. And I've already, I, I, and I consistently always get something out of it. In, in The Weight of Glory, he, uh, you have uh, the seed of uh, what John Piper, I think, has seen. If you, if, if you wanted to say what, uh, what John Piper has contributed to the world— um, in the theological world, it, I would argue that uh, it is his um, understanding of Christian uh, hedonism. Uh, but this—that's Piper's formulation. But the two people that uh, Piper's drawing on—it's not like Piper thought it up out of his own head. I think these these are preeminently scriptural ideas. But some of the men, two of the men who went before him. Uh, in this vein, would, were Jonathan Edwards, the um, the American colonial preacher and theologian, Jonathan Edwards and C.S. Lewis. Um, in the weight of glory, uh, Lewis describes for us and defines and set, sets the boundaries of what it's like to seek for glory and not have it be um, a toxic desire. So nobody knows better than Lewis how how fast a desire for fame can go bad or how how rapidly it can all fall apart if you want your name up in lights. But he also is a careful enough thinker to to see and know and identify that when you um that God has has built us for glory, we are created by God to be glory seekers. In fact, in Romans, that's, uh, that's part of the definition of sin. What is, what is sin? Sin is falling short of the glory. Um, so we have, a, uh, we have a moral obligation to not sh- fall short of the glory. Now, of course, this is God's glory, but there's no way for a creature to be entailed in God's glory without us reflecting that glory or being partakers of it ourselves. And this is something that Lewis sees and he sees that we were created for it he sees that this um, this is not a bug this is a feature so podcast 91 uh, hamartiology the word anti loy derail means to revile again anti uh, anti loy derail to revile again. It, it refers to the practice of returning bile for bile, spite for spite. When someone else starts the sinning, 
the easiest thing in the world is to pay him back again in his own coin. Um, but this is precisely what Jesus did not do. And this is what's referred to in 1 Peter 2, 23. When he reviled, he reviled not again. He was not guilty of anti-loi dereo. So, um, and this is what Jesus is addressing when he says, when you're struck on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Uh, our visceral gut-level reaction that wants to hit back, bite back, pinch back, whatever, you know, scratch back, um, we ought not to do it. If someone says, you know, you're an ugly old thing, and we all know that from second grade on, maybe even before second grade, we reached into our bag and said, oh, yeah, well, you're um, this. Someone hurts us, someone tags us, someone touches us, and the impulse to retaliate, the impulse to get your own again, uh, to if you if if our argument is they started it and we're going to revile again, they started it and we're going to punch back. Um, that's precisely what the Lord Jesus didn't do. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.